And I'm Ray. And you are listening to Gory Report. <laughs> Did y'all like that? The A little, little classic spooky. The little seizure that I just had? No, spooky. I'm telling you, <laughs> somebody <laughs> stop me. Because no matter what I do, no matter how hard I try, I am cripplingly awkward. <laughs> so, you know, that's that on that. It's not that bad. It's really not that bad. <laughs> Hi, everyone. We hope you're having a good day and a good week and, and a, a good, good life. life. That's kind of our new saying now. We just always hope that you're having a good life. Yes, and, indeed. And uh, here we are today, because there's not a lot of business to really unpack at the beginning Except of this Except for one. this huge, <laughs> enormous-sized trigger warning that I'm going to put on this episode. I was about to say, we're still recovering from last week's case with Keith Rondulich. And here we are again today with yet another really, really, really awful one. So, listen, <laughs> I am warning you right out of the gate. We're just jumping right in today, you guys. It's going to be really messed up. It's terrible. But this case is a really good example of nature versus nurture again. We seem to touch on that topic quite a lot. Yeah. I mean, I don't mind it. It's important. But yeah, I'm going to come right out the gate with a trigger warning. The beginning part of this story covers the abuse of a child, of children. If you don't want to listen to this episode, we understand. We totally understand. But this one right out the gate is very graphic. Oh, Lord. It, it also sparks the debate between when someone is going through something themselves that is so traumatic that they inflict on others, mm-hmm. then you have to wonder, you know, are they a victim themselves? But it doesn't excuse what they did. Let me start no, off by saying it's, that. No, that's but a, that's a good question to be asked, though. I mean, you know, it's bigger than just what these people do sometimes. There's a whole story behind it. Yeah. Like and you touch on... Nature versus nurture. I mean, Jesus Christ, let me reference Edmund Kemper right. for however many times since I covered him. Like, Lord, you can't look at what he went through and say, nah, nah, that has nothing how, how to do, do you put someone with through how that? you turned out. How do you put someone through that and then go, oh, yeah, you're going to be a normal person? That's what like, I'm saying. And it's not an excuse for the actions, but, you know, it's a good scope of perspective to have. And we like to have open perspectives here on this podcast. Open perspectives. So before we get into everything, I do want to say that the amount of information that I tried to put together for the victim, Bobby Jost in it, Mm -hmm. there is not a lot about her life, unfortunately, so I got things that I could find. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. But there is a treasure trove of information regarding Lisa Montgomery, so let's get into her story. Lisa Marie Montgomery was born February 27, 1968, in Melbourne, Kansas, Her mother's name was Judy Shaughnessy, and she was an evil, cruel woman 
Oh, God. That enjoyed torturing the people around her, and she was also a really bad alcoholic. Judy drank throughout her pregnancy, which caused Lisa to be born with permanent brain damage. Oh, my God. Lisa's father, whose name I was not able to find, was in the military. Okay. So I'm assuming that he wasn't around very much. And with him not being around very much, Judy would have these boyfriends that would come over to the house. Okay. And do God knows what to Lisa and Diane. Diane Mattingly is Lisa's half-sister. Oh, okay. So I wasn't able to find, like, a master list of her siblings or anything like that. But she does have other siblings. Gotcha, gotcha. So these girls grew up in an environment where physical, verbal, and mental abuse was normal for them. That is so sad. I hate to hear that, like, in cases like this where, like, really heavy child abuse of any kind is involved. It just, oh, it makes me sad. Yeah. I already know this is going to be one of those, so... So they Woo! were getting <laughs> wow. to, right, right, exactly. Wow, bitch! Wow. Okay, I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> like I just had to get that out there. I just had to get it out. <laughs> that was my venting of the bubble of anxiety that I've gotcha, gained gotcha. Uh, at this point in the episode. So, so. <laughs> they were getting beaten with brooms and belts. Oh my god! Made to take cold showers as punishment. Other cruel punishments. Such as being forced out into the snow naked. What the fuck? They would lock the doors and have them stand out there. They weren't allowed to take anything with them. Oh my Oh my fucking God. Oh she my would God. also tape their mouths shut. If she didn't want to hear you speak, she'd just tape your mouth shut. Take a long walk off a short pier, bitch. She would even make Diane eat raw onions as punishment. This is so fucking bizarre. And like to this some day, cruel and unusual punishment. Right, and to this day, Diane said that she cannot eat onions. Period. Oh my god, that is fucking sad. That but is so sad. She also said in an interview that she too was raped in the home. Lisa and I were in the same room. We had bunk beds, but our beds were right next to each other. If we reached out with our little arms, um, we could touch hands. Because man walks into our room and um, he gets undressed and he gets in bed with me and and he he rapes me and um, I am um, I remember just really thinking I have to be quiet because if she wakes up he's gonna do this to her and I I couldn't I couldn't let him do this to her. I couldn't. Oh my fucking god. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really have I don't have much to say at this point. That just kind of was really really not the easiest thing to listen to. Yeah. You know, not going to lie, but continue onward. We <laughs> go onward. We still got pet off the track. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. So this is just giving you an idea of how terrible this home life was. When Diane turned eight, she was removed from the home, leaving Lisa behind, who was only four years old at the time. My God. The abuse toward Lisa only got worse, and now she was living alone with her mother and stepfather. I tried to find some sort of information on how it went from having a father to gaining a stepfather, but 
I couldn't find that info. That's just one of the missing gaps, I'm guessing. Yes. And I'm just assuming Judy split with Lisa's real father and ended up marrying again or what? Gotcha, gotcha. However, her stepfather was also an evil man and a drunk. Oh, my God. He would regularly beat and rape Lisa over the years. Oh, my God. By the time she was 11, her stepfather began to share her with his friends. Are you fucking kidding me? I'm not. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. I just had to. I just had to. I don't even know what the fuck I'm trying to say. Just continue on. That just that got me. All of this is just really, really, really fucking bad. Yeah. Right out the gate. I hate hearing this. I I, really, truly hate this. I know. I know. It sucks. But... I mean, awareness needs to be brought, but Lord. Right. So at the age of 13, when they were living in Sperry, Oklahoma, her stepfather built a special room in his trailer so he could attack Lisa whenever he wanted. Oh, my God. This would also be the room he stored his liquor in as well. So naturally, Lisa turns to alcohol, anything to escape this reality that she's in, and it was available to her, so why not? I mean, I can't say I I blame her. I mean, you know, what would we do in that situation? Like, God only knows. You, you cannot blame her for that, you know? Not at all. So when she was 14, her mother walked in on her stepfather abusing her, and she burst in the door. And instead of being like, what the fuck are you doing? That's my child. She then pulled a gun on Lisa and threatened her, pointing it at her. Threatened Lisa? And accused Lisa of seducing her stepfather. Oh my fucking God. Yeah. Oh my fucking God. Again, long walk off a short short pier, pier. you vile bitch. It's crazy. Evil fucking vibe, bitch. Real evil fucking vibe. So this I'm is, done. This is also around the time that her mother began to traffic Lisa out to anyone with money. Son of a bitch. The handyman, the electrician, plumbers. She was basically trying to use Lisa as trading goods for, like, you know, oh, I I need a fresh coat of paint put up, but, you know, I can't pay you, but I have a daughter. Oh, my. Jesus. Jesus. Like, what Jesus, the fuck, Jesus. man? Wow! But this ends up going on for a very long time. Like, Lisa was bounced around between, I think they said, 61 homes in 32 years. Like, she was bounced around heavily. My math could be slightly wrong, but if I'm not mistaken, that would be moving every six months for that 32 years. Yes. Or something close to that. Somewhere around in there. So... An entire life of no stability. No stability. No peace. No, tr- no peace, no trust in anyone, really. Oh my, this is sad. That is sad. So Lisa did end up trusting one person, and that was her cousin. You know, she told her cousin, you know, hey, all this stuff is going on. Like, these men would tie her up, beat on her, urinate on her, rape her, and God knows what else. I am just... Having... Having your parents just share you with their friends, like, like you're a party conversational piece, you know, like those those pieces that you don't do anything with. They're just there, and you're like, here, look at this, isn't this cool? Da da da. That's is, basically how they were treating their daughter. 
This is just absolutely just wow. I or know at least I, that's the best way I could put it. It doesn't seem like I have a lot to say. I'm just, that's a lot to process. Like, bless, I hate this. And for some reason, the cousin never did anything about it. Wow. So either this cousin was, like, terrified to open their mouth about it, like they didn't have a safe space to speak up to get help, or this was going on with the cousin as well in, in some way. Gotcha, gotcha. I, I don't, mean, I don't have an plausible. answer on that. Yeah. It could be plausible that maybe they're going through similar things, and they're like, oh, well, you know, we're both fucked. There's nothing we can do. Being afraid to say anything. I mean, that's right. understandable. We don't. We don't victim blame here. So when Judy divorced her stepfather, Lisa actually testified about the abuse during the divorce proceedings. My goodness. And get this. So the judge finds out through this testimony about all the abuse. Mm -hmm. He went off on Lisa's mother, Judy. He went off on her about the abuse and not reporting the abuse, you know, Basically, like, turn yourself in kind of thing, right? Gotcha, gotcha. So he's going off about this abuse not being reported, but yet he's a judge and found out that she's abusing her child, but he didn't do anything about it either. What He didn't report the abuse either. He didn't remove Lisa from the home. Nothing like that. No, no. Oh, my. Nothing was done about it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Nothing was done about it. So when she was 17, Judy prodded Lisa to get together with her own stepbrother, Carl Bowman. And it's unclear why Judy would even set the two up together. But Lisa actually ended up marrying her stepbrother, Carl, in 1986. And she hoped of escaping her chaotic home life, like trying to get away from Judy. Oh, my God. You know, she's 17. She's a child. She doesn't know any better. Right, right. So she just saw it as a way out to escape from all this violence. And actually, it was just as bad as all the other people in her life. It did not get better. One of Lisa's brothers actually found a home movie of Carl raping and beating Lisa. Jesus. And he said nothing about it because he didn't know what to say to Lisa. Like, he he had no clue how to bring it up. None of that. So, again, it's swept under the rug. This abuse that she's enduring just is not getting recognized as not being stopped. That is absolutely awful. So, Lisa and Carl have four kids together in a very short period of time. One right after the other, basically. And Carl would remark on how much Lisa loved being pregnant because she loved the attention she would get. What? Well, naturally, like, everyone seemed to cater to her and she ate up all the attention. Gotcha, gotcha. But when you think about it, her whole life she's been getting shit on. And here she is pregnant and being catered to and loved on. Being shown kindness for once in her life. Jesus Christ. So naturally, yeah, as you can imagine, this was addicting for her. So in 1990, when their final child was born, he was born two months premature. So doctors recommended that she get her tubes tied because they were sure she couldn't carry any more kids. Lisa didn't want to do it, but her stepbrother husband and her mom 
forced it on her. Oh, my God. So she ends up agreeing with them despite her being devastated from getting this procedure done. It was at this time that Lisa started to develop what's called pseudocesis or phantom pregnancy. So a phantom pregnancy is this, it's this rare thing that happens where a woman can truly, truly believe that she's pregnant and her body will start exhibiting pregnancy signs. So she will develop morning sickness, possibly a fever in the morning, even a baby bump. And she won't actually be pregnant? Right. Wow, that is It's a very rare condition, but it does happen. And it is hell. Like, okay, so I've had two kids. And other women out there, y'all have kids, y'all can sympathize, but I'm not pregnant have not been pregnant for years i still sometimes feel like what feels like a baby kick yeah it's phantom and it's really weird it's almost like it's like your body remembers the feeling of what it's like that is insane i mean i didn't know that that's honestly kind of cool though that's yeah it's really scary um i also heard that like people who have like a limb amputated that sometimes they can still feel that limb. Oh, yeah, I've read about that. The brain is scary, dude. (laughs) Right. (laughs) The brain is really freaking scary. After the procedure, Lisa ends up claiming two different times that she was pregnant, and this would start fights between Lisa and Carl. Damn. They fought relentlessly about it, and he ended up being sick of her claims that she was pregnant, and he divorced her in 1993. However... They fell for each other all over again and remarried in 1994. Shut the fuck up. Seriously. Then in 1998, Lisa left Carl for good and took the four children to live with her with a man named Kevin Montgomery. Kevin had three children of his own and he lived with his parents. So you got Lisa, Kevin, and seven kids. Lord. Under his parents' roof. I could not imagine. I couldn't either. I literally that could is not just... imagine. That's so much. <laughs> so later in the year 2000, Kevin and Lisa ended up getting married. Lisa claimed to have been pregnant three times, and the last time in 2004 with a due date of January 16th, okay? All right. So during these pregnancies, she began to wear maternity clothes, and she would talk a lot about her supposed due dates, like... Oh, yeah, my due date's on such and such, you know. October 32nd. October. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, but, somebody um, stop me. But, you know, Kevin was unaware that Lisa's tubes were tied, and he believed her every time. Oh, my goodness. So in 2000, before she and Kevin were married, she told him that she was pregnant and intended to have an abortion. Okay. So Kevin gives her $40 and they never mentioned that pregnancy again. And then in 2002, Lisa told her friends and family that she was pregnant again. Although she said that she was receiving prenatal care from her physician. Gotcha. She would not allow Kevin to attend the appointments. Sketchy. Right. Sketchy. Her physician later testified that he had treated her for ankle pain and a cold. But, but nothing related but to a pregnancy. But he did not provide her with any sort of prenatal care. 
Oh my goodness. So despite Lisa's claims, when this upcoming due date passes, she would just be like, I lost the baby. And she just had like a cycle of doing this from yeah. what I'm seeing. Yeah. The the second time that she had a quote unquote miscarriage, she told Kevin that the baby had died and that she had donated its body to science. Holy shit. So this last time that she claimed to be pregnant, Kevin went along with it because, you know, obviously he believed in Lisa. Like, who am I to say anything? She knows when she's pregnant. Right, right. But his ex-wife, however, was very skeptical about this pregnancy. And Carl, Lisa's ex-husband and stepbrother, said that he was going to expose her and her lies. He was taking her to court to get custody of two out of the four kids. Oh, you know, just pick your favorites while you're at it. That's absolutely this. You is, know, but he's woo, trying this to get is really, really fucked up. Yes, so he's trying to get custody of two out of the four kids, and during this custody hearing, he was just going to expose her for all her lies. Oh, she says she's pregnant when she's had her tubes tied. Da da da. You know. My goodness. Yeah, it's a lot. So the custody hearing was set on January 25th of 2005, and he was just going to go in there and raise hell. Cause a scene. Cause a scene, try to make her look like a bad person. We love um, that. We love that. But this date, unknowingly, to both Lisa and him, had put unnecessary pressure on Lisa because that was a date that, like... If I say I'm pregnant now, this is a date I've got to have a baby by. Oh, so that was one of her due dates or the due date that she had given. Yeah, her due date would have been like before the hearing. Gotcha, so gotcha. this is like where we start to see this pressure start to build on her. Oh, goodness. Why don't I like the vibe? Because the vibe is not likable. <laughs> <laughs> It damn sure is Damn sure isn't. So Lisa actually called Carl to tell him that she would prove him wrong. She had this confidence about her when she talked to him on the phone. But like I said earlier, this was the most speculated moment. This is the straw that broke the camel's back. This was when she started feeling that immense pressure and need to produce a child. Oh my goodness. And she knew exactly how she was going to have a baby. She was determined to prove everyone wrong. On December 4th, 1981, Bobby Jo Potter was born in Skidmore, Missouri. She was known as a happy, loving, and sometimes shy person. And one of her high school friends described Bobby Joe as one of the sweetest people you'd ever meet. Oh, my heart. She graduated from Nottoway High School in 2000 and soon after married her high school sweetheart, Zeb Stinnett. I believe his name was like Zebulon or something like that. Oh, but wow. everybody just called him Zeb. Gotcha, gotcha. The two married in 2002 and settled in a small white house there in Skidmore. The town of Skidmore has less than 300 residents and most knew and loved Seb and Bobby. So Only it's, 300 Yeah, people? it's like a really small farming community. Wow, holy shit. So everybody knew everybody, you know? Imaginably so. So Zeb and Bobby were looking forward to the birth of their first child, and he was due in January of 2005. Or she was due in January of 2005. Gotcha. So in the meantime, 
Bobby raised, bred, and showed rat terrier puppies. Unfortunately for Zeb, the date his daughter would be born would be the worst day of his life. Oh my god, my fucking stomach. Lisa Montgomery met Bobby Joe Stinnett at a dog show in April of 2004. Both women were into breeding rat terriers, and they were acquainted through an online message board called Ratter Chatter. Ratter Chatter? Yeah. Shut the fuck up. Isn't that cute? <laughs> Ratter Chatter, oh my god. <laughs> Bobby maintained a website to promote Happy Haven Farms. It's her dog breeding business located at her home. She also worked nearby at a Kawasaki manufacturing plant. But Bobby Joe's passion was raising dogs. Gotcha. Most of her free time was spent raising the rat terriers and entering them into dog show events. Gotcha, gotcha. The Happy Haven Farm website included pictures of her and her dogs. After she had became pregnant in the spring of 2004, Bobby shared the news with her online community, which also included Lisa. My stomach is just like, I feel it. I don't like the vibe. I don't the vibe. like the vibe. It is not likable. <laughs> not likable at all. It was around the same time that Lisa began telling her friends, family, and online community that she was pregnant too. Again. Yes. So she reported testing positive, began to wear maternity clothes again, and she began behaving as if she was pregnant. All over again. All over again. So Kevin and their kids believed Lisa wholeheartedly. Like, why wouldn't he? She had never given him a reason to not believe. Understandable. However, as I stated earlier, Lisa's ex-husband was determined to expose Lisa for her lies. And the looming court date put pressure on her to deliver a baby. So what does Lisa do? She responded that she would prove them wrong. Using the alias Darlene Fisher, Lisa contacted Bobby on December 15, 2004 via instant message. Bobby had a litter of puppies for sale, and Lisa expressed interest in purchasing one. Okay. The women agreed to meet the next day, although Lisa lived in Melbourne, Kansas. She told Bobby that she was from Fairfax, Missouri which is a town near Skidmore. Gotcha. That night, Bobby told her husband and her mother, Becky Harper, that a woman named Darlene from Fairfax was going to stop by and look at the puppies. On December 16th, Lisa drove from Melbourne to Skidmore and arrived at Bobby's home around 12.30 p.m. Lisa carried a sharp kitchen knife and a white cord in her jacket pocket. Oh, my God. Bobby and Lisa brought the puppies outside and played with them. At around 2.30 p.m., Bobby received a phone call from Becky, her mom. And it was just to confirm that Bobby was going to come and pick her up from work and give her a ride back home. Gotcha. Sometime after the phone call ended, Lisa attacked Bobby and used the cord to strangle her until she was unconscious. Jesus. Lisa then used the kitchen knife to cut into Bobby's abdomen. <gasps> Before she carried out this plan of hers, she researched how to do a cesarean birth. And she even brought clamps along with her. Oh, my God. So she's cutting into her belly. 
and this causes Bobby to regain consciousness. She woke up during this? Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So a struggle ensued between the two of them, causing Bobby's foot to, like, be stepped down into this large puddle of blood that was coming from her. And it was enough blood that it not only got between her toes, but it had also like seeped into the cuticles of her toenails. Oh my so god. So that's how much blood she was losing. To stand in it and to have it like cover your toenails and Oh my She was fuck. losing a lot of blood. Fuck, 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 fuck. Lisa strangled Bobby a second time, and the second time she strangled Bobby was the time that it killed her. Oh, my God. And despite her being too weak to get away, Bobby Joe actually managed to scratch the shit out of Lisa. Good job, Bobby. If you are ever, God forbid, in that situation, just scratch the shit out of them. (laughs) Just scratch the hell out of them. Get their DNA under your nails. Yes. You it, get it all in there. If you can. Just hope that you get enough. <laughs> <laughs> right. And ultimately, uh, you know, we hope and pray this never happens to any of us. Right. <laughs> Lord fucking forbid. But, but then again, for all of us that love true crime, we know, you know, pull hair, scratch, bite, do what you got to do, man. DNA is... Very important. (laughs) Very, very important. But uh, it was that evidence that added to, you know, what the FBI was mounting up on her. Because the FBI actually got involved. Oh, my goodness. So Lisa then cut the fetus from Bobby's body, cut the umbilical cord, and left with the baby. Jesus fucking Christ. Lisa then got into her car and drove away from the Stinnett home holding the baby in her arms, and pinching the umbilical cord shut. Becky called Bobby shortly after, like, 3.30 p.m., and when no one answered, she walked the two blocks to Bobby's home. Oh, shit. The front door was open, so Becky went inside, calling for her daughter. She reached the dining room and found Bobby's body lying there covered in blood. Holy shit. She called 911 and told the operator that her daughter was eight months pregnant and in need of medical assistance. Becky said that it looked like Bobby's stomach had exploded. I am dead ass trying my hardest not to cry right now. Yeah, it's really hard. That is, I have no words for the intensity of that. Oh my God. Oh my God. So meanwhile, while this is going on, after driving a short distance from Bobby's home, Lisa stopped to clamp the umbilical cord and to suction any mucus from the baby's mouth. The baby cried. But other than a cut above her eyes, she was uninjured. That I'm, is... I'm having a hard time. <laughs> I want to cry so bad. Yeah, that that's amazing that the baby was unharmed, though. Yeah, she just had a cut, like, above her eye. Bless her heart. Oh, my God. 
So after cleaning the baby with wipes, Lisa retrieved the car seat she had stored in the trunk of her car and placed the baby in the seat. She then drove to Topeka, Kansas and called her husband, telling him that she had gone into labor while Christmas shopping and that she had given birth at a women's clinic in Topeka. She asked him to meet her at a parking lot near the clinic, which he did. They returned to Melbourne together with Lisa's daughter and son driving her car home. Holy shit. The Montgomery's called friends and relatives to announce the birth of their daughter, Abigail. They slept in the living room next to the baby's bassinet. And the next day, they ran errands and went out for breakfast, introducing Abigail to people as they went. So keep in mind that Amber Alerts could only be used if there was like some identifiable information. Like this person looks like this. Or this person is wearing this. They have never before had to put out an Amber Alert for a fetus. That is fucking wild to think about. It truly is. Like this is, not only is this just, horrifically just horrific yeah it's really bad but this is just it's truly bizarre to me like it's brutal yeah on so many levels like my god exactly it's just it's mind-blowing but the investigators fought hard to have an exception made in this case and there was an amber alert that was put out For this fetus. For baby Stinnett, yeah. Oh my god. So the investigators received multiple tips through phone calls. One of the calls was from a woman who was part of the Ratter Chatter message board. I still can't get over Ratter Chatter, I'm sorry. Ratter Chatter. Ratter Ratter Chatter. Chatter. It sounds like a Pokemon, Ratter Chatter. (laughs) I love Pokemon, you better stop. (laughs) But... So, this person explained that a woman named Darlene Fisher was planning to meet Bobby Joe that day. Darlene was apparently from Missouri, but investigators could not locate the woman or even substantiate that she even existed. That's crazy, because it was was an alias. Yeah. Yeah. So, another tip comes in out of Georgia. In which the woman said that an acquaintance of hers had brought home a newborn baby, but those who knew her had serious doubts the woman had ever been pregnant. Oh, no way. She named Lisa Montgomery. So the cyber crimes unit was able to track the messages from Darlene Fisher to an IP address in Melbourne, Kansas. The address was listed as Kevin Montgomery. Husband of Lisa Montgomery. Holy shit. Even more telling, Lisa Montgomery drove a dirty red car, which witnesses placed at the home at the time of the crime. Holy shit. Since a child may have been kidnapped and taken across Missouri and Kansas state line, the FBI then became involved. So, while the FBI is staking out the home in Melbourne, Kansas... Lisa Montgomery returned to her farmhouse in her red car with her husband and a newborn baby. Son of a bitch. So the police knocked on the door shortly after. This case is 
fucking crazy. Right. So the police come in there, you know, doo, 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 up on the door. Kevin answered the door and, you know, he didn't think nothing of it. He invited the officers in. Yeah, come on in. What can I help you with? And he had no he idea. He had no idea. He had no idea. So the police noticed that Lisa was sitting on the couch holding a baby and Lisa and her husband were watching news coverage about the murder and kidnapping in Skidmore. Holy shit. The police said that Lisa, whenever she would like get up and go to walk around, that she was walking around as if she had just given birth and she claimed the child was her own. This is some next level shit. So Sergeant Investigator Randy Strong explained that they were investigating the murder of Bobby Joe Stinnett. He asked about the baby, and Lisa said that she had given birth at a women's clinic in Topeka. Uh huh. She asked Kevin to retrieve the discharge papers from his truck. Kevin went out there to search the truck, but he wasn't going to find any papers. Because there were no discharge surprise, papers. Surprise, surprise. So Investigator Strong then asked to speak to Lisa outside. Lisa then explained that her family was having some financial problems So, unbeknownst to her husband, she had given birth at home with the help of two friends. And when they asked her to produce the name of these two friends, all of a sudden it was like, no, 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 they were available by phone. (laughs) What? Yeah, she was like, I only, they were only available by phone just to stay on the phone with me in case I was in any danger. What the fuck? Fuck. She then said that she had given birth in the kitchen and had disposed of the placenta in a nearby creek. The holy shit. At her request, the officers moved their questioning from her home to the sheriff's office. She requested to finish this questioning at the sheriff's office. She requested that herself. Yes. What a, oh my God. Shortly oh my thereafter. God. I'm so speechless, you guys. I'm so sorry. I'm just sitting here silently. I'm just, I, this is just a really hard one to, right? to take in. Like, this shit really happened. Yeah, it really did. It my, really happened. My God. So shortly thereafter, Lisa confessed to killing Bobby Jost in it. She, she confessed to it. She just, like, they didn't have to goad it out of her? No. Or like... No intense interrogation. Once she saw that, like, she couldn't keep up the pretense anymore, she just kind of, like, threw her hands up and was like, I Oh, well, the gig is up, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, holy shit. So she confessed to killing Bobby Joe and removing the fetus from her womb and abducting the child. Jesus. So the baby was then returned to her father, Zeb, and... She was renamed Victoria Jost in it. And she survived. She survived. I mean, that's great, you know, but oh my, just wow. This is a story. This is a fucking story. So supposedly at a pretrial hearing, a neuropsychologist testified that head injuries, which she had suffered from years before, could have damaged the part of her brain that was, like, in control of aggression. Oh, shit. You know, during all this trial, all this stuff that's going on, they're covering, like, 
her brain damage, her suffering a traumatic childhood. They argued that these circumstances led Lisa to develop a mental illness, which triggered her violent crime against Bobby Joe Stennett. And others believe that this was a cold, calculated plan. She was manipulating those around her to believe she was pregnant and to not look like a liar. She murdered Bobby Joe in cold blood and took her baby. There's some insanely big, two separate contrasting sides of this fence. Right. Like, holy shit. They allegedly even tried to pin the blame on Lisa's brother, Tommy. What the fuck? Yeah, but he had an alibi, so it never went anywhere. Gotcha. And I'm sure there was also, imaginably, a great deal of DNA evidence that was found, too. Like, I just... And then you have her confession, and then, you know, your golden evidence, which is having the stolen child with you, that's pretty damning. Right. I don't see how it could have got... pretty clear cut evidence that, like, you stole the baby. You did this, exactly. I don't see how this could be pinned on anyone else. Sitting there on the couch holding the baby, she stole in her arms. Right there in front of police. That is... (laughs) Woo, what an image. Wow. So the rush... Wow. Wow, bitch, wow. So... The Rush defense team. So apparently there was something that went on with her attorneys. Like there was some sort of miscommunication. They didn't really talk about how they were going to handle her case. But anyway, the relationship between the lawyers had soured. And it all ended up coming down with just one person. So instead of her having like a an actual defense team, it came down to like... Just her and her lawyer. Wow, holy shit. So, the Rush defense team was later criticized for being incompetent and failing to paint a complete picture of Lisa's traumatic upbringing and brain damage. So, she was diagnosed with PTSD, bipolar disorder, florid psychosis, and she was often disassociated from reality. Like, she was just off in her own little world. Son of a bitch. And this is all because she suffered permanent brain damage from numerous beatings. Oh my god. Lisa showed absolutely no remorse in the courtroom. No emotion whatsoever. Stone cold shit. Stone cold shit. And on October 26, 2007, she was convicted of kidnapping resulting in death and sentenced to death. She was sentenced to death for this? She was sentenced to death for this. Despite her numerous appeals, Lisa Montgomery remained on death row. And the people who know this case have to question whether she was a cold-blooded murderer or if she was very much a victim herself. Yeah, I can totally see the sides of the fence with this one because, uh, I don't know. Like, when it comes into the case of... Lisa Montgomery and Bobby Joe. Bobby Joe's obviously the victim. Right. You know, there's no debating that here. But I don't know. And like, if you're on the big open book of life, like Lisa herself very much is a victim too. Yeah. You know, there's a some, lot of gray area. There is some really touchy gray area we can get into. I just, I don't really know how I, th- this one just has me all over the place, honestly. I mean, ultimately, I think Bobby Joe 
was the real victim, at least in this scenario. And I just, I can't imagine this. Well, that- I cannot imagine this. I cannot imagine what her family, you know, went through because of yeah. this. And I'm only, you know, I can't even fathom when her daughter grows up and learns yeah. about, you know, it. <laughs> I just, I just can't imagine how that's going to, like, affect her, you know? Yeah. This is a hard one on all sides. Truly, 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 this case is absolutely insane. I, my heart nor my brain can comprehend this, am yeah. I being honest? Yeah, it's, it's a big one. But... The question of her being a killer or a victim has been debated all the way up to January 13th, 2021, where Lisa Montgomery received a lethal injection at 52 years old. Oh, my God. This made her the first woman to be executed by the United States federal government since 1953. And that concludes the story of Lisa Montgomery and Bobby Joe Stinnett. Christ. Yeah. It's it was definitely a lot. It was definitely very, very heavy. What are your thoughts on it? Honestly, I don't really have that many, and I know that's kinda disappointing. No. It's like I said, I kinda gave my thought earlier. I think that in the case of Lisa Montgomery and Bobby Joe, I think Bobby Joe is the clear victim. Yes. And I feel absolutely horrible for her and her family and her child. Like, th- this is just insane. But then you look on the bigger scope outside of Bobby Joe, Lisa very much is a victim herself. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that excuses anything that she did because holy shit, I just, I don't know. I'm all over the place with this one. This one's sad. This one's awful. But, you know, nonetheless, you did the damn thing. And, and I'm glad the damn thing is done. done. It's done. It's done. It's done. It's done. That's done. Good night, guys. <laughs> so uh, we hope, as we said last week, that you enjoyed slash not really enjoyed our case this week. We enjoyed being here nonetheless. And if you would like to follow me and Ray and all of our weird, well, you definitely can. Find us on Facebook at Gore Report, a true crime podcast. On Instagram. At Gore Report Podcast. Twitter at Gore Report. <laughs> and uh, yeah, this was we absolutely fucking awful, and we love you, and we're gonna go do everything and anything we can to get this awful shit off of our minds. Some serotonin, please, uh. I am literally traumatized, so until next time. Bye! bye.